0: Hello, today is Friday, February the 15th, here in Raleigh. This is Perspective from Politics NC. I'm Kirk Kovac. I'm here with Thomas Mills. Thomas, how are you?
1: I'm fine, Kirk. Thanks for having us. Sure. Well, uh, the first thing
0: on the agenda today, I think, is this week was the funeral for Representative Walter Jones Jr., I think. And I know you wrote an article about him, but I just wanted to allow you to talk about Representative Jones and what he represented in North Carolina?
1: Well, Walter Jones Jr. was a, a succeeded, well, his father actually served 25 years, and then when he ran for his father's seat, he, he lost in a primary, partly because the district had been redrawn to, to be majority African-American district. Um, Eva Clayton won the primary and became the first African-American woman congressman. Um, Two years later, I think Walter was mad at the Democrats. He switched parties, became a Republican, won in the 1994 wave, and stayed there the rest of his life. Uh, he, Walter was really uh, a bit of an odd duck as far as politics go. He, he didn't fit real well into the Democratic Party, or at least the modern Democratic Party, or the or the modern Republican Party. He, he was a big advocate of campaign finance reform. He said money had ruined politics. Um, He uh, voted for the authorization of the Iraq War and then regretted that so much that he ended up dedicating much of the end of his life to um, apologizing for that vote. He he wrote every every service member who died, he wrote their family a personal letter. Uh, his office was lined with um, the, the photographs of people from Camp Lejeune, who, which was in his district, district, who died in Iraq or Afghanistan. So he, he was an interesting character. He was, he was a, uh, converted to Catholicism and was staunchly pro-life, but uh, he held pretty moderate views. I saw something where the Washington Times called him a rare conservative moderate which really, in in my language, would be an old-school conservative Democrat. So, And I think that's really kind of who Walter was. He was the model of the last of the conservative Southern Democrats.
0: I've seen a couple posts, I think, specifically from Professor Bitzer, but talking about that's going to be a pretty wide-open primary for his seat now because, like you said, between him and his dad— they were the only people that represented it for almost uh, half a century, pretty much, wasn't it? Right. Well, the other change this week was, I think it was this week, uh, Cooper appointing um, Judge Beasley to be on the state Supreme Court as chief justice. So you wrote an article about that as well, I believe, and that was an historic appointment. So could you unpack that event as well?
1: Well, uh Justice Beasley became the first African American woman to serve as Chief Justice of North Carolina Supreme Court. Uh, she's eminently qualified. She she's been on the court since uh, 2012. She was on the Court of Appeals before that. Um, she's been a, a district court judge. She's got 20 years on the bench, and you know it, it made sense. I thought it was a good appointment by Cooper, but but. Uh, it made sense in today's environment it was both smart politically but it was also smart for the courts uh, i think she brings a needed perspective and it's a, it's high time we had somebody like that the disappointing part of that was judge Newby's response and Newby, who who touts himself as being the senior uh justice thought that he deserved the response and and Instead of congratulating Beazley, blasted Cooper for raw partisan politics, which was raw partisan politics. He talks about some tradition about always appointing the the uh, the senior justice to the to the chief justice when, uh, position. When well, the only time that a a, gov- a Republican governor had the opportunity to re- to appoint a uh, senior uh, justice to the chief justice's seat from another party. They chose instead to appoint a Republican. Back back in 1986, uh, Rhoda Billings became chief justice of the Supreme Court after she'd only been on the court for 11 months because Jim Martin wasn't going to appoint a Democrat to the position. So you know, Newby doesn't have a whole lot of legs to stand on, but more importantly, it was just a classless move. The guy should have had a much better sense. He should have congratulated... Uh, Justice Beasley, and he needs to have a little bit of historical perspective. Here it is, 2019, and we're just getting our first American, African-American uh, woman who's Chief Justice, and and we need to see more appointments like that, not
0: fewer. It does strike you as odd to have someone who, at least ostensibly, is supposed to be a neutral, a neutral arbiter of the law to issue such a Strong rebuke of someone he's supposed to serve with on the court.
1: I I thought so. I mean, well, he didn't really rebuke Beasley. The governor, I guess. You know, he he rebuked the governor, but you know, that's his colleague. He he should be he should be a little bit more gracious than than he was. And uh, you know, I think it's I think basically what he did is he kicked off his campaign against Beasley um, with that statement. So. You know, if he wants to really blast anybody about making the court system more partisan, which is part of what he said, he needs to be blasting his Republican uh, fellow Republicans in the General Assembly who who made nonpartisan races partisan. We're the only only state that went from having nonpartisan races to partisan races, and uh, you know that's what raw partisanship looks like. And and Beasley's response sure sounded more partisan than uh, judicial.
0: Newbies, newbies. Newbies, yeah. excuse me. Well, it is interesting that his the, the crux of his argument is basically that he, a Republican, uh, deserves an entitlement, and he's entitled to this position that he didn't get. But, but I, I think it is a bit indicative of how making these judicial races partisan really serves no purpose but to politicize the courts, even more than they already um, have been. So it's, it's a bad precedent, I think, to set uh, moving forward. Right. Uh, another big topic in the news, and this is perennial, but there was actual legislation um, introduced and a press conference involved, and there's a bipartisan move toward independent redistricting. And I, I, the, the, it's being led, I think, by a Republican Chuck McGrady and a Democrat uh, Robert Reeves. I know they were at least two of the sponsors So I heard in an interview with uh, Rep. McGrady that they were leaving a lot of options on the table. There were a lot of different avenues this might take as far as getting independent redistricting done. And I think there's more of an appetite for that in the House. He he referenced in 2011 they passed basically the same thing, and Republicans were, I think, the majority at that time. So do you have any hope— or expectation that this might be the session for independent redistricting?
1: Um, I think it's a long shot, unfortunately. I, I mean, I, I think it's it's highly popular. I mean, I think the people of North Carolina want it. I think the members of the General Assembly want it. I think the leadership of the General Assembly is more concerned about holding on to power in their seats than they are um, about having any sort of fairness in elections. I, I've not seen a whole lot of evidence that, that the leadership in the Republican Party gives a whit about uh, fair elections. But, um, you know, I, I think it, it, it does say something that it's got bipartisan support. It, got rel- it was relatively prominent when it was announced. Um, I hope that we'll see a lot of Republicans get behind it and push it. I think... You know, if it were put to the uh, vote on the floor today, I think it would pass overwhelmingly in both houses with, with huge bipartisan support. I mean, everybody knows this system's broken, and it's broken, it's so broken that we, we, we don't ever have any certainty about what district we're voting in in, in in the next election. And Republicans like to say it's Democrats' litigation, but they started the litigation back in the 80s. This is not something that's just gone on in the last decade since Republicans took control. This is something that's been going on for over 30 years in this state. And it's really time to end it. And it's really irresponsible of the the Senate and House leadership not to let a, a redistricting bill go forward, particularly if it would pass.
0: And I think, as with many other contentious issues this session, a lot of the concern is more geared toward passing something in the Senate versus the House. Um, But I do know one of the other avenues that they may approach this um, by is a constitutional amendment, because then it would put it in the Constitution that certain uh, metrics have to be met. And I I think that would be extremely popular if you put it on the ballot. It's a question of whether or not they can get it on the ballot, but do you think that.
1: Well, they, they has to pass the Senate to get on the ballot. Right, right, I know. And, and I, you know, I mean, again, I, I think the Senate knows it would pass overwhelmingly in the state if it were put up there. So, you know, that, I, I mean, let people vote on it would be great. I'm, I'm not a huge, I, I mean, putting it in the Constitution is probably a good idea. Um, but I'm not a huge fan of uh, governing by referendum either.
0: Right. Well, but the part of the logic of that, I think, is that the Constitution provides for the legislature to do the redistricting. So I think if you um, codify some of those things in the Constitution, it would take away some of the more partisan aspects, of, it, hopefully. But um, there is a move toward more referendum-based um Legislating, I think that's something that happens a lot, like in California. Do you? Is there a specific reason you think that is less
1: viable as an option, or just mass uh, votes well, on our, issues our, like that? Our, our constitution doesn't allow for it, for one thing. So it, you know, that's that's we're not a referendum state. Um, but you know, the the the, the my bigger problem with referendums is is that. You can get a lot of people excited about a re- lot of really bad ideas, and, and you know, uh, look, for people who are political consultants, it's a gift. Every political consultant wants to see it because you get special interest money that comes in and pushes bills, pushes referendum, and then you get both sides fighting. There's, it, it increases the amount of money in politics. It also makes ballots prohibitively long. I mean, you go into California and you look at a ballots, like, four or five pages sometimes. And people don't know what they're voting on, so you know I, I think it's it's just not a great idea. Um, but I mean, if 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 there really needs to be a constitutional amendment to fix gerrymandering, I'm all about it.
0: There is something happened this week as well. Just today, the the president signed the bill for. A spending measure so that the government does not shut down again, and he has decided to use his emergency powers. I guess to allocate funds to build the wall on the southern border. What do you make of him using emergency powers to do that? And what sort of precedent well, do you think that sets?
1: The, it's it's a terrible precedent because you know what he's basically said is it's not, clearly not an emergency, or else he would have declared it a long time ago. So what he's doing is he's, he's taking what should be used in the event of very serious, life-pressing uh, situations or, you know, things that threaten our, our country or our people and using it as a political tool. So he also
0: said that in his press conference today, this morning, announcing it, he said, um, I don't have to do it like this, but this is quicker. So he said in, in his statement about it that it wasn't really an emergency because this is just a faster way to do something.
1: Right, and so what's going to happen now is 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 uh, one we're 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 continuing this thing of giving presidents way more power than they should have. But the second thing is is uh, he just he just okayed Democrats to use emergency powers to pass things they think are more pressing, and Republicans are going to be hating on that stuff uh, if Donald Trump goes down in twenty twenty and and all of a sudden inequality becomes a, a an emergency. So. Um, you know, I mean, it, 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 it's, it's a terrible precedent. And, uh, you know, I, I think I, I said something. It, it, an emergency, it's either an emergency or it's not. It's not it's not an option. And he kept talking about he was going to use it as an option. And, and that's just awful. So.
0: Well, speaking of things that Democrats might use emergency powers for as um, to act on big items, I know a lot of people floated the idea that maybe a, a Democratic president might declare emergency uh, regarding climate change. But there has been some legislation introduced um, the Green New Deal, and a lot of presidential candidates have taken positions on that. But I think anyone who's been keeping up with it knows it's it's been a pretty fraught rollout. So not necessarily from a policy perspective, but just on the optics of that. What do you make of these presidential candidates signing on to what is very, very progressive legislation that seems, at face value, is like an unaffordable um, goal. Uh,
1: you know, I'm not a I'm not a big fan of these bills that are kind of all encompassing with very few details. And uh, you know, I read an article by Jedediah Purdy yesterday in the New York Times that he was a law professor here at Duke for years, focused a lot on environmental stuff, and, and I think Jedediah is now at Columbia. But, you know, he made the case that this is, that you can't separate out economics from from the environment and and that this is really what environmental legislation should look like. And I guess in a perfect world it is, but, you know, we live in a political world, and I, I think it's, it's, when you start rolling everything into a, in, into a big bill like that, number one, it has almost no chance of surviving and getting through, but number two, it's full of unintended consequences. You know, there's no details in how any of this stuff would get carried out. And, uh, I, you know, I, 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 the, the presidential candidates who are all signing on are people who are really just trying to appeal to a really liberal base right now. Um, and not really thinking that much about legislation and, 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 and our future. I, I uh, you know, I'd rather get a few tangible things done than make a whole bunch of statements. Right. Well, I, I'll
0: ask one final thing since we—seems like we always end up on 2020 presidential topics by the end of these. There are four early uh, primaries and caucuses uh, next year, and then Super Tuesday involves North Carolina— so depending on how big the field is, do you think after Super Tuesday we'll have a much clearer vision of who the front runner is, or do you think there'll be still a contentious?
1: No, I, I, the, the, look, a lot of this will get whittled down before any of these caucuses ever happen. But before Super Tuesday, it'll be down to a, to a few people. You'll probably have – two, maybe three kind of, you know, leaders, and then you'll have a handful of people who have to win some state in order to stay in. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, it'll probably go in, I think, early, um, we have early March, and then there's a, a series of them throughout March, and then in, in, in I don't think we'll go all the way till June like we've done... In the past, late May or June, before we end up with with a presidential nominee, I think a lot of them will kind of fall off. So it'll be interesting. Certainly will be. Well, I
0: think we've about reached our time limit today. So thank you for dropping by. I think you might be in Carbro next time. Yeah. Thanks, Kirk.